This is your last fucking warning. If you don't like the word fuck, get the fuck out. Welcome to episode 90 of Musically Challenged, your heaping helping of music, trivia, and pretty much whatever the fuck else we want to talk about this week. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and with me, as always, is my brother from another mother, Lou Schwalbach. Good evening. So this episode, like a few before this one, are about a single band. This is the fucking hardest working band in the world. Or they were at one time. These guys drank more alcohol, slept with more women, and did more drugs than anyone else. Or at least that's what they wanted you to believe. They broke into the music scene in 1987, and they broke in hard and fast and haven't really slowed down in the intervening times. They are known as a band with a classic lineup that is almost whole again. They dropped their first album in 1987, and it was called Appetite for Destruction. Their latest album was Chinese Democracy in 2008, though rumors say that they are in the studio right now cutting an album. Of course, by now you realize that I'm talking about Guns N' Roses. I'm a huge fan, Lou to a lesser degree, but when I brought up this idea, he was on board. So grab a bottle of Jack, a top hat, a plethora of guitars, and let's get this show started. Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. So, how the fuck are you? Doing pretty damn good. How are you? <laughs> I was not kidding about the amount of the word fuck I'm going to use in this Apparently episode. Apparently we're going for a record, are we? I think we will get there, yes. So, this is definitely going to be parental advisory? Oh yeah, this one's going to be lit up as, you know... So, you're, are you going to put a, a little sticker on here saying <laughs> F-count or how many F-bombs dropped? I... <sighs> when you edit, you should probably count. Just make a tick mark, because I'm should... intrigued. I Okay, we will, because in a lot of the stuff I wrote up, I use the F-word because... It's Guns and Fucking Roses. But yeah, so we're going to take a look at music across their entire catalog for the most part. I mean, I think we're going to hit just about every album they put out except their Spaghetti Incident. I don't think we hit, but that was just a covers album anyway. Right. And a lot of what we've got, you can find just by buying one album, and that's called their Greatest Hits album. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, not all of them. There are a couple that are... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There are a couple that are... Exclusive. Exclusive. Not not only exclusive, but they were... They're not going to be on a Greatest Hits album because of the controversy behind them. Either controversy or their deep cuts or, or right. something like that. And I've got one that's both. I'll warn people right up front. They're, I, I, I tap dance around it, but it was both controversial and it is a deep cut because a lot of people don't even know the song exists. But anyway... Let's jump here and let's start drinking because it would make the boys happy. Yeah, probably. You know, right. And you said the hardest working band. And of course, I had to question that because this was also around the time of Motley Crue. And honestly, I think they did more drugs than anybody. Well, possibly. But and the other thing is, too, is the hardest working band, no hardest working livers. Yeah. Well, they were the hardest working band. That used to be one of their taglines. And that's where I stole it from. And as I was reading it tonight, I'm like, you know what? 
they took like a 14-year hiatus. So maybe not the hardest working band, but... Maybe for a couple years they were. Yeah. So anyway, we've got... I brought um, Dragon Flute Beer. It's from Carbon 4 Brewing in Madison, Wisconsin. Carbon with a K. Yep. Because they got to be special. I guess. Uh, It's 12 fluid ounces. It's 5.3 alcohol by volume. It is an American Pale Ale. And I'll be honest, when I bought it, I bought it because of the name Dragon Flute. And because the... The, uh, the art on it's kind of nice. It's really nice. There's a big dragon on top of a pyramid, it looks like. So, future beer companies, if you're listening to this one, just put a fucking dragon on it and, and we'll chattel, buy it. And chattel yeah. drink it. Yeah, I probably will. Dragon piss ale. Well, <laughs> no, I gotta have it. <laughs> what kind of dragon? <laughs> what color? Yeah, because, you know, the color makes a difference. But we're not going to nerd out that ta- hard. We're not talking about the color of the piss, either. The no, color the color of the, of the dragon. dragon. Because, like, green dragons are acid and... Uh, you know, uh, red dragons are fire and blue dragons are ice. So I'm assuming their piss is going to be different. I would guess so. But anyway, shall we give this a sniff and a, uh, and a taste? Sure. Let's go. Like they're going to hear the sniffs. Right. But it, it smells very fruity. It does, surprisingly. Um, it also smells like it's going to have a sharp, bitter bite on the back. I'm hoping that that's not the case, but we'll see. Let's give it a shot. <sighs> Oh, grapefruit. Oh, wow, that is bitter. Holy shit. But it's not a bad bitter. Mm-mm. No, I mean, it is very grapefruit. It is yeah. absolutely grapefruit. I mean, that just hits you in the, hits you in the teeth. And I, I was I was worried about the hops on it, but the hops doesn't bite that hard. It's the mm. grapefruit flavor. Mm, I would disagree with that. And this is sticking around, too. It's not going away. I don't know. I'm not tasting the same thing you are. Mm. I'm actually, I like this. Um... I like grapefruit. Don't get me wrong. I really, really enjoy like. This eating. reminds me almost of like just eating a grapefruit, like fresh out of the shell kind of thing. A little bit. Maybe but, it'll change, but we'll see what happens. All right, so let's go ahead and vote on this thing for now. I'm actually gonna go up. I'm gonna just give it a solid bar. It's okay. not. It's not like moose piss, but it's not my favorite thing either. Okay, fair enough. And and like you know, we always say we reserve the right to change our vote. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I'm going to go with an up. I really enjoyed that first that first taste of it all. So the tang, the tang. All right, all right. It's trivia time. And I believe I am six and four right now. You are six and four. Now, the tonight I am going to give you four choices for an answer because I think it's only fair. Oh, it's one of those questions. Yes, and it, and it might be really easy for you, but I don't think so. Okay. So the question is. What is Guns N' Roses' only Billboard number one song? Your choices are Sweet Child of Mine, Welcome to the Jungle, November Rain, or Mr. Brownstone. So one more time for everybody out there, and you can think about that. So what is Guns N' Roses' only Billboard number one song? Is it Sweet Child of Mine, Welcome to the Jungle, November Rain, or Mr. Brownstone? And I'll let you chew on that till the end of the show, and uh, we'll get your answer then. So let's go ahead, and let's go ahead and, and kick this episode off. And you, my friend, get to launch this thing. All right. So let's see. Let's get this. Uh, okay. You weren't ready for the party. You know, and I think we're going to probably end up, are we going to do this in uh, chronological again, or just say, fuck it, we'll go all across the board? Well, yeah, I really didn't write it up chronologically, so. I didn't either. So, um, actually, 
Yeah, I, no, I didn't. I'm almost a nerd, but not completely. Okay, so so, so what are you going to kick off with? My kickoff was It's So Easy. Okay. Uh, it's from 1987's Appetite for Destruction. Um, they were still relatively poor rock stars that weren't really well-known yet. However, they were known well enough to get what every rock star really wants, and that is pussy. Yeah. Hence the lyric, It's So Easy When Everyone's Trying to Please Me. The song did virtually nothing and was technically considered a flop, but usually those are the ones that I kind of like because they don't get played to death. Because, <laughs> um, of course, you know, you listen to something on the radio and it overplays it and just kind of spoils it for you. you know, Unless Lou, the song is amazing. Lou, you're always like, I don't I don't look in the meaning of songs. But you pick a lot of songs about sex. So I'm going to say sometimes you look at the meaning of songs. It just happens to work out that way. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, come on. You can't tell me that neither one of us is a, isn't a puss hound. I'm not saying a word about that. <laughs> so anyways, moving on. It only charted in the UK, and from there it only peaked at number 84. And it wasn't until the band's follow-up single, Welcome to the Jungle, was released when the tune got its legs. There's really nothing super special about this song, but for whatever reason, I just happen to like it. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick listen to it, and hopefully you can see what I see, or hear what I hear. Or both if you're loaded. So, Axel has a uniquely screechy voice. When he wants to, he can go low, and that's kind of why I like this song. Just the lower registers, the lower tone, that, and it still rocks, and that's why I like the song. So, that is my first choice. All right, so, it's from Appetite. One of Guns N' Roses' best albums. Maybe their best. Yeah, I was going to say, I would say the best well, as a not as big a fan as you, though. Okay, fair enough. Sex from Lou and Guns N' Roses. Why the fuck not? It's a great song. There's not really a whole lot to say about this one because, like you said, it didn't really have any legs. Uh, the video is all right. A lot of hot girls. You know, standard. 80s fair. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's not really anything else to say. Let's move on. All right, so what do you got next? I am going to start out with Night Train. It is the third song on the band's debut album, Appetite for Destruction. You're going to hear that title a lot tonight. <laughs> More than you probably fucking want to. Anyway, although it was released as a single, the song was not included in their best of album. It reached number 93 on the U.S. Billboard charts. The song is a tribute to an infamous brand of cheap California fortified wine, Night Train Express which was extremely popular with the band during the early days because of its low price and high alcohol content. Little aside here, I actually scoured this town looking for a bottle of Night Train Fortified Wine. Couldn't find it. So where did you all go? I, well, I went to Triggs. I went to Walmart. I went to County Market. I mean... Which Triggs did you go to? The one... The big one downtown. Oh, okay, yeah. So I walked in, I'm like, you got Night Train? Guy kind of looks at me, I'm like, it's a long story. And he goes, but, no. But but you're white. <laughs> no, he did not say that. Uh, the title is spelled differently, omitting one of the T's between Night and Train and removing the space, making a single portmanteau of the two words. Not my word, somebody else's. I'm not that smart. 
And the song was ranked 8th on Guitar World's list of the top 10 drinking songs. Slash describes Night Train as an anthem that we came up with on the spot. The original idea for the song came when Slash and Izzy Stradlin wrote the main riff while sitting on the floor of the band's practice room. The next day, Slash was ill, so Stradlin finished writing the music with Duff McKagan. <laughs> ill. He was hungover. Hungover. Uh, you know, coming brown off Brown bottle flu. <laughs> uh, brown stone flu. Who knows? Well, yeah. Uh, now you made me lose my spot. However, they did not write any lyrics. The song remained incomplete until one night when the band was walking down Palm Avenue sharing a bottle of Night Train. Someone yelled, I'm on the Night Train. And the whole band joined in, with Axel improvising the lines in between. Bottoms up, fill my cup, you, you know. Um, Night Train was born. After its initial inspiration, the band finished the song within a day. So, let's go ahead and get on the Night Train. So, a drinking song in the purest sense of those words. High energy, alcohol, and drug-fueled good old rock and roll. I enjoy this song. It's just pure Guns N' Roses from one of the best rock albums ever released. Not a lot to say about the song, or really any of them. I mean, I love Guns N' Roses. The way they play, the way they sing, and the way they don't give a fuckity fuck about any fucking thing. What are your thoughts, Lou? You know, I like the song as well. It was always one of the best non-Paradise City, Welcome to the Jungle, or Sweet Child of Mine songs on the album. Because, honestly, those are the three that pretty much everybody knows off of that album. Yeah. Um, it's just a good rocker. There's not a whole lot to say about it. It's just a solid rock song. Okay, fair enough. So, what are you bringing us next? I'm going to guess it's Guns N' Roses. Uh, you would be correct. All right, so what are you going to bring us? So, there, you're one and all for trivia on that one. Um, so, we're going to go to the Jungle. All and right. that is Welcome Welcome to the Jungle, which is the second single off of 87's Appetite. Um, the song the song story goes that a fresh-faced Axel, which I, it was hard to even type that out. When the hell was he ever fresh-faced? Early on. Uh, like when he was conceived, but that was about it. But <laughs> Up till about the age of 14 in Indiana. So he, he and a friend got off a bus in New York. A homeless guy trying to put some fear in the runaways yelled after them, You know where you are? You're in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. I can see that happening. You've been to New York, New York before. Yep. I've been to New York, and I've seen some of them bums, and they're fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, this is another song that wasn't really chart-topping, but it was a good song. It maxed out at number seven on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, not right away, but eventually, and then at number 37 on the U.S. Billboard Mainstream Rock chart. What's, what's really there to say about the song? It's a classic hard rock tune that has a super memorable opening riff that everyone who's ever been to a sporting event knows the riff. Um, echoing at the beginning, it just sends chills, especially when it's played really, really loud. Yep. Of course, that's not the part of the song we're going to listen to now, but we may end up throwing that riff in just because. So here's the part that I decided to choose for this one. Then maybe, maybe just to fuck with Chad, I'll throw the riff in later on. Welcome to the jungle.
What does Chad have to say? Well, Chad has to say, first thing, the video is amazing. I don't know if you've ever actually watched the video, take, you know, getting off the bus. I have and, that Welcome to the Videos DVD. Do you? I do. Okay. Which has everything from there to You Could Be Mine. That video, I fucking loved that video. The, the, the Terminator uh, 2 Terminator one, one yeah. yeah. But go on. So the guitar, the scream, the whole package has got to be one of the reasons that Guns N' Roses is the fucking powerhouse band that they are. A song about surviving in the concrete jungle of L.A. About how if you're not vigilant, the city will control you, devour you, and there will be nothing you can do about it. I mean, that's really what it's all about. It's a, it's, it's almost a warning song. A song of warning. If you come to L.A., be prepared. Because if you're not prepared, you're going to die. And were you prepared a couple months ago? I was. But, but then again, you also didn't go to the same lifestyle that they did. Correct. And I didn't go to the same places they went. Even though we did do Hollywood Boulevard, which was kind of cool, but it's kind of touristy, so. Well, yeah. But it wasn't, you know, back in the day. You know, speaking of that, I think that would be, everyone talks about what they do if they had, like, time machines and things. I think seeing certain things at certain times would be amazing. And what I mean by that, like, for example, Studio 54 would be fucking amazing. I would love to see Woodstock. That would be amazing. Seeing um, the Hollywood Boulevard and and all that stuff like in the 70s, like when Van Halen was new, when Kiss was yeah. new, when these were new, would be amazing. You know, I mean, just some of like the birthplaces of right. that. That would be my thing I would do. You know, go see opening of this. Eh, I want to see where Van Halen cut their first album, for example. Right. You know, and, it, and it's funny because we were driving through L.A., just kind of sightseeing, you know, what you do. And we went past the Whiskey A Go-Go. Mm, okay, yeah. Which used to be... Speaking of Van Halen, yeah. Well, and a lot of them. The and a lot doors, of them. The, a yep. lot of these. But it was it was really kind of out of place where it sits now. Because there's there's office buildings across the street. <laughs> there's, you know, all this stuff. And it's just kind of there. And we didn't stop in because it was too early in the day and they weren't open. But it was just one of those things that, like, it's like... I would love to see that when it was, you know, Whiskey A Go-Go and this and this and this. You know, and every one of those guys had a band in there mm-hmm. that we now think of as staple bands. You know, and this, speaking with the Time Machine thing, not only seeing where those birthplaces was, but were, but going to some of what are considered classic concerts. Like, oh, God, yeah. Like uh, seeing The Who when they first wrecked the guitar or seeing Zeppelin or seeing, you know, any of these bands... The Doors and the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. Exactly. I mean, you know, these are just perfect examples of yeah. concerts that we weren't alive for. But if we, knowing what we know now, the right. ability to go back, back would be that so shit. epic. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right, let's move on. So my next song is One in a Million. It is the eighth track on the album GNR Lies and was released in 1988. The lyrics describe Guns N' Roses singer Axl Rose's experience of getting hustled in the Greyhound bus station upon first arriving in Los Angeles. The song is notable not only for its controversy, but also for being one of the first Guns N' Roses songs that Axl also wrote. Solo. According to to interviews, Rose wrote One in a Million on a guitar, which he was not proficient at at the time, using only the bottom two strings. This differs from other Rose-written Guns N' Roses songs, which Rose composed on piano or keyboards. This is the first Guns N' Roses song to feature piano played by Rose on the outro. So let's go ahead and listen to a small snippet of this song. You're one in a million. Yeah. 
We have to be very careful talking about this fucking song. This is the one you're referring this to. This is the one I was referring to. Okay. The reason I added this to the list is because of the controversy that surrounds this stupid little song. The amount of hateful speech in this song in today's atmosphere would give somebody fits. Back when it was released in 1988, it gave people fucking fits. Uh, he uses the N-word. He uses anti-gay slurs. And... And, and the like. I, I understand the ethical or moral high ground people took on this song, and I get it. But this song was written by an angry young Axel, and he was telling us in a song what he went through on his way to and well knew in, in Los Angeles. Does it mean it's okay? Fuck no. Does it mean we should try to be better people and keep an open mind to what he was trying to tell us? Fuck yeah. I'm done now. Lou? All right. <laughs> Lies. For me, this whole album was a fail. No, no. You, know, you can't even say that. I'm not done. All right. Patience was about the only hit on this album, and it was a weak-ass song. I kind of wrote off the whole thing. So when I got to listen to this one, it was really no better. Um, yeah, I was bored. I, I mean, I understand the controversy behind it, and maybe it's just because it's out of time. But I, considering all the other rock and music they put out, considering the previous album, which was Appetite, I believe, mm -hmm. which rocked your balls off, and then you go to this, it's just like, oh, okay, it's their token sophomore album. I didn't care for it. I didn't care for the song. I know you're you're wanting to tear me a new one. I can tell by the No, no, I, I, I'm okay. You're lying, but... No, uh, you're allowed to have your opinions. But I don't know how anybody can look at lies and consider it a failure. That's, I don't, I don't get that. Now, granted, there are some songs on Lies that are garbage, but overall, I think it was a good song, a good album showcasing a different side of Guns N' Roses. They tried something different and it mostly didn't work for me. Okay. I mean, all right. What do you got next? We're going to go, um, I'm going to go back to Appetite because again, obviously I liked that album and uh -huh. that's uh, Anything Goes. Anything Goes, it's a non-single track off of Appetite. Uh, it's not a single, and apparently that I'm the only person who actually likes this song. Because this one, <laughs> there's nothing about it. Nobody, I mean, finding the lyrics was hard. I I was very tempted to go back and get out my cassette tape. Because this was my, the Appetite was my first cassette tape I bought from Inner Sleeve. Mm -hmm. That had the lyrics on it, so I could actually read it. Because online, for whatever reason, the like four sites I used, none of them had it on there for some reason. So, in any respect, um, there's really not a whole lot about it. As I said, it's a rock song about sex. Apparently, Axel was horny, and when he finds someone to throw it in, which back then I'm sure was easier than breathing, um, he's going to get it in all ways and every way possible. Anything goes. <laughs> It's simply a good, fast rock song about sex. 
Uh, if you listen to the lyrics, it may be a bit of a turnoff, but this the music is spot on. It's awesome, which is why I picked the song. I don't have anything else to say about it, so let's just take a quick listen. All right, so I don't know, and you're going to find this funny, but the first thing that catches my ear every time with that song is whatever, it, it's some sort of a wood block or a wood thing that... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a wood block, because we I, played that fucking thing in, like, yeah, elementary school. Yeah, but it's like a, it's, it's that ridge thing, right? It's yeah. a stick, and you're just... Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but that really catches your ear, and it makes you go, what the hell am I listening to? You know? The guitars, of course, it's a song about sex. In fact... Any way you want it, he's down. There's not a lot to say about this song other than it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the song. I really do. I I find this one and the song that follows it instantly on the on the album Rocket Queen. Mm. Those two songs are really an expansion of each other if you listen to them. Yeah. I think it's a great pairing of those two songs, and unfortunately, neither of them really did anything no i mean rocket queen didn't because it had you know moaning and sex sounds on it right but this one i don't see why this one didn't because this is it's again it's a non-single but i think it could have been yeah it probably could have pulled off being a single but you know they had i mean come on it was appetite well they already had enough singles off of appetite well for then but look at now we've already talked about other artists where they have like 10 album 10 songs and seven seven or eight out of them out of 10 are fucking singles what the hell was it on the madonna episode we did five songs out of eight yes which is goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> it is. It is. So let's go ahead and move on. All right. So up next, I am doing the song Civil War, which originally appeared on the 1990 compilation Nobody's Child Romanian Angel Appeal, which is a charity album released in 1990 to benefit Romanian orphans under the auspices of the Romanian Angel Appeal Foundation and later on the 1991 album Use Your Illusion 2. Did they just randomly look up charities and said, you know what, we're going to go for this charity? No, actually, it was kind of funny because I pulled up, you know, because they talked about this charity, and I'm like, what the fuck is this charity, right? So I, I looked it up, and Guns N' Roses, um, the Traveling Wilburys, uh, oh, shit, there was a ton of, like, big-name artists that did this compilation album. But all of the local charities that they could have done. I know, And they decided to pick out some random-ass Eastern Bloc well, company. It probably country. wasn't. it probably wasn't random at the time it was probably the it thing for rockstar you know, for people was, to do it was shortly after you know the whole uh heal the world thing with uh the fuck was it africa oh live aid live aid live aid. Know, well oh yeah i suppose live aid was 85 i think yeah something so like that so yeah this was 90 so we fixed africa now we get to go back to fucking europe great right right anyway <laughs> it is a protest song on war referring to all war as quote-unquote civil war and stating that war only feeds the rich while it buries the poor. In the song, lead singer Axl Rose asks, What's so civil about war anyway? That's at the end, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. It and he your... did the whistling, too. Yeah, that's true. He does all his own whistling. I, you know what? No stunt double, no stunt lips for him. No. It was, <laughs> it was released as a single in 1993 in several regions. I don't know why they write it that way. Uh, that just means in several, like, it was released in America and the UK or something like that. Well, now regions are different for, like, DVDs and things. Right. Because like, the, then the, the, the players are different. Right. But anyway, 
Uh, Civil War was the brainchild of Guns N' Roses artists Axl Rose, Slash, and Duff McKagan. Slash stated that the song was an instrumental he had written just before the band left for the Japanese leg of its Appetite for Destruction World Tour. Axl wrote lyrics, and it was worked into a proper song at a sound check in Melbourne, Australia. In September 1993, Duff McKagan explained where the song came from in an interview on Rockline. Basically, it was a riff that we would do at sound checks. Axel came up with a couple of lines at the beginning, and I went in a peace march when I was a little kid with my mom. I was like four years old for Martin Luther King, and that's when did you wear the black armband when they shot the man who said peace could last forever. It's just true life experiences, really. <laughs> when I was reading this quote, I'm like, okay, okay, where the fuck's he going? <laughs> He's like, and then I went on a peace march, and I'm like, Kudos. Good for you. <laughs> so, what really is so civil about war? So I never felt being there. We got the wall of the sea to remind us all. That you can't trust freedom when it's not in your hands. When everybody's fighting for the promised land. I The song starts out with a monologue from Cool Hand Luke. Now, I've never seen the movie, but it is on my list. And has been for years. <laughs> Just haven't gotten there yet. The song takes a serious look at war and how it's not good or civil or any of those things that the leaders of the world want us to believe it is. War is messy, dirty, and lives are ruined. Not just those, not just of those killed, but of all the loved ones of that one person. I'm not a fan of war, death, or destruction. It's just not cool. All right, I'll get off my fucking soapbox. Lou! Way, way to completely play it down. It's not cool. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not fucking cool, okay? Civil War is one, of, is one of multiple good songs on the album. It's an epic anti-war song, and I did say the song was epic because it really is. It is. Um, it's got good movie samples in it, and it just makes it works. It makes the song work perfectly. It, work, it goes along. I mean... I will say it's one of my favorites. It is kind of slower until, you know, the last, what, third of it when it yeah. really kind of picks up. Um, but you can listen to this one anytime. I mean, this if this one repeats itself, I'm not going to feel bad about it because it's a good song. Yeah, I would agree. All right, man, what do you what do you got next? My next one actually is off that same album. It's uh, The song is Yesterday's, and it was off of um, User Illusion 2 also. Yep. Now... Let me just say this. It is fucking brilliant to put out two albums at the same time with different stuff on both of them. Because I agree. Because in the pro days prior to Napster or iTunes, you had to buy both albums. You couldn't download it unless, you're, unless you wanted to record the shit off the radio or you had a friend who would make a tape for you or something. Because that was... No, that was solid CD time. It wasn't yeah. really tapes. But even so, CD burners weren't exactly cheap. So you have to find a nice tape or whatever, but... You know, they had fans had to have both of them. I wasn't enough of a fan to have both. I had two, which was the blue one, I believe, mm -hmm. and then one, one was, was yellow, the, like orangish, reddish. It was yellow and red. Right. Now, whoever came up with that scam should have gotten the lion's share of the profits after the band. You know, so whoever it was in their office that said, "Okay, we've got twenty tracks. Let's split them up. Put them on two different albums. We'll put one or two good songs on one. We'll put the rest of them on the other one. Make them different colors and." 
we're gonna make a fucking mint. And of course, Axel was like, "All right, yeah." Okay, okay. I'm gonna just say this. You already know how I feel about one and two. I know, but fuck you. <laughs> so, in any respect. The song itself is actually very deep, which may surprise a lot of Guns fans. Axel sings about you need to focus on the future and the present, leaving the past behind. It's a simple message conveyed by Axel and the boys that have great lyrics, and as often is the case, a great slash solo as well. Remember before when I said that I was pretty definitively said that Axel should not sing ballads? I'm not going to go back on that. However, with that being said, this is a good slower song off of Illusion 2. So, let's take a quick listen and then Chad can say his piece. Alright, so, first thing I wrote was, this is a lot closer to a ballad than I ever thought you'd pick. Now, I like this song. It's almost a song about regrets. Almost. Or the fact that you're going to try to convince yourself that regrets are pointless. Yet something keeps bringing the past back to you, and the regrets do seep in. It, it's a great song, and if you listen to it and, and take the time to listen to it and figure out what, what they're singing about, it's a very deep song. It's mm -hmm. probably one of the deepest Guns N' Roses songs out there. I'd agree. Except maybe Civil War. I think those two kind of... The thing is, though, Civil War puts it out on the sleeve. That's it's, true. It's out there, whereas yesterday's you kind of have to think about more. Right. So what, they're both thinkers. I will give you that. But I think when it comes down to it, I think yesterday's might be a little bit of a more of a depth on it due to the fact that you have to kind of process it more. Whereas Civil War tells you what to think, and they're right. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I, I would go with that. Now, you, were, you wanted to do yesterday's... On the uh, the same the name, same name different, different song, song, but then there was the S. There's the in S there. on the end. Yeah. Okay. All right. So my next one, moving forward, is Chinese Democracy. It is the title track from their sixth studio album of the same name. The song was released as the band's 21st radio single in October 2008. I, you know, I've listened to their music for years. I didn't realize they had that many radio singles. No, because they always play the same five fucking songs. Right. It was primarily written by Axl Rose and Josh Fries, uh, who was part of the band in one of the interim areas. Uh, it was the band's first single of original material since Estranged was released in 1994 as the first single off of the 1991 album Use Your Illusion 2. Commercially, Chinese democracy charted well in most territories. It was particularly successful in Scandinavian countries. Uh, <laughs> Topping the Norwegian singles chart and reaching number three in Sweden and Finland. In North America, the song reached number 10 in Canada and number 34 in the United States. The song peaked at number five on the mainstream rock chart. Axl Rose introduced the band's first live performance of the song in Las Vegas, Nevada on January 1st, 2001 with the following. The movie Kundun was a, telev was a television show about the Dalai Lama. I was getting ready to leave, and it was on the end of the movie, and the Dalai Lama is about to cross over the border. You know, be in exile for the rest of his life from his home country. And he looks back at the men who helped him, and you know he's escaped the Chinese government. And then he looks back at them, and he waves, and they wave at him. And then they show a scene where he looks back at them again and sees every one of them dead. Because they knew they would be killed, and they knew 
that in helping him they would be killed. And you know the emotion in this next song? That's what it's all about. It's not like an intelligent song. It doesn't have the answers to anything, and it's not necessarily pro or con about China. It's just that right now, China symbolizes one of the strongest yet most oppressive countries and governments in the world. And we Americans are fortunate to live in a free country. And so in thinking about that, it just kind of upset me, and we wrote this little thing, this little song called Chinese Democracy. So let's get a little democracy. I waited almost 15 years for the new release, and I was out on Black Friday at Best Buy, because this was a Best Buy-only release, and bought my copy of the new album. Then I heard the song. It really is a powerful song if you listen to it. Axel's a man who overflows with intelligence. Maybe not common sense, but intelligence. A song that loosely talks about the Dalai Lama and his escape from Tibet, saying no matter how much hate there is from China... The Dalai Lama has time to work and fix what is wrong, and he's been working at it for many, many years. And in a way, this shows a more mellow Axl Rose. He's about the good guys and not the bad guys. It's just my two fucking cents. Lou? So, I, uh, sure, I knew the album came out. I really haven't heard anything from it before this. There's actually quite a bit good on it. It's a decent song. It's got good guitar work on it, which you've come to expect. Yep. Um, nothing really jumped out at it for me, though. I mean, there wasn't anything that's like, this is a great song, or this song's terrible. I mean, nothing set it apart. So very middle-of-the-road guns for you. Yeah, it was kind of a... Uh, it wasn't a misfire, but it definitely didn't blow its whole magazine either. Okay. Just a couple good, well-placed shots. How about that? There you go. All right, so I know what you're wrapping up with, but why don't you go ahead and tell us? All right, so my last one was You Could Be Mine. Uh, you Could Be Mine was a single released in 91 off of the User Illusion 2 or Blue and Purple one, for those who are color-oriented, I guess. It's kind of like reading a map as a guy versus a lady. The lady might be like, well, turn up the third tree, you know, the one that has, like, the arm that's kind of bent in the barn, whereas the guy's like, get on Highway 21, take a left, and... <laughs> Quick, really quick, great story. We're on our honeymoon, Nikki and I. She's on the map, because this was years ago. We didn't have GPS. A paper map? A paper map. Oh, my God. And we're driving through Iowa, which you're very familiar with. Mm -hmm. So we're on Highway 35, coming straight at Des Moines. Now, a 35 splits, and you can go around Des Moines, mm -hmm. or you can drive through downtown. Yep, 235 goes downtown, and then I-80 goes around it. Right. So we're trying to avoid it. We're trying to go around it. Good choice. So we're coming up, and I'm like, I don't know which way to go, because every sign across the top says Des Moines, right? And she's on the map, and I'm like, I need to know where to turn. And she's like, um, I'm like, no, I need to know where to turn now. Just pick something. I'm like, where do I go? And she goes, take the blue road. <laughs> so needless to say, we drove through downtown Des Moines. <laughs> which, to be fair, I've been in a lot of downtowns, and it's not that bad. No, it's If you not. stay on the highway, you're yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> But that being said, if you can get around it, get around it. Yeah. But anyway, go on. Sorry. So, no, that's fine. Because I know exactly where you were, too, because I drove that to, to and from work so many times. <laughs> and what year was that? 94. 
Oh, shit, that would have been before they made everything, like, four lanes. Yeah. Because back when I, back when I first moved down there in, in early 2000s, coming from Ankeny to Des Moines, they didn't have two lanes both ways. So oh, traffic in the morning was backed up from downtown to maybe about three exits from where I lived. Oh, God. Sucked ass. It was terrible. And then they got it done. It's like, well, this ain't so bad. <laughs> so moving on. So... All right, so... What song are we talking about again? Use Your Illusion 2, the song is You Could Be Mine. Okay. So the song was picked by director James Cameron to be the, the finger quotes, theme song to the incredible sequel Terminator 2 Judgment Day. But it wasn't originally going to be that way. Even though there were plenty of references to the band, such as John Connor's friend wearing an L.A. gun shirt to Arnold pulling out a shotgun from a box of roses. You see what they did there? Mm-hmm. Kind of clever. So... Cameron looked at those, and he's like, you know what? Fuck it, why not? So he contacted the band, said, hey, can you perform a song? And this is the one that was chosen. The deal was actually cemented over dinner at Arnold's house. Nice. Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat, too. So the song was co-written by the band and deals with Izzy's shit relationship with his then-girlfriend. The song was written well back in the Appetite for Destruction days with evidence by the line, with your bitch slap rapping and your cocaine tongue, get nothing done, which is in the 1987... 1987 album liner notes i just remember of course after terminator 2 came out i was kind of everything about it that was like one of my favorite movies of all time i think it was everybody's because it was it's a great movie it's yeah it's a good one and i went back and i heard the song i'm like where have i heard those words or seen those words before so i went and looked up my cassette tape for appetite i'm like holy shit look at that so i just when i went back and looked at it, i was flabbergasted so as mentioned before the song was featured as both a background song that was played in on John's radio in the garage and during the credits, because it was so closely tied with the Terminator that the video even featured Arnold as a T-800 walking through the concert to terminate the band. They even got, actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger, too. They didn't have a lookalike. Right, right. Which was cool. The video is amazing. The movie is great. This is a killer rock song. The intro is over a minute long, which sometimes it takes a little while to get into because of which. But if you listen to it and you give it the time, you hear the riff, and you know which one I'm talking about, you know shit's going to go down. Oh, yeah. It is a great rock song, and it's probably one of the better, if not best songs, in my opinion, off of two. Okay. Let's take a quick listen, then we'll hear Chad's three and a half cents. dude i know i was gonna say i gotta raise Woo! so first thought was of course terminator 2 it's a great song i love the guitars axel screaming his words and the absolutely ludicrous speed at which the song is played just a simple song about a man who doesn't want his way of life compromised and if you can live with that you might be the girl for him if not on to the next i mean really that's what it's about the rapping portion of the song is awesome just how quickly Axel can get all that out in one breath. In one breath, and it and it is ninety percent intelligible. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can actually hear what he says. In fact, I think I had that memorized when I was younger. I probably did too, but um, I'm, it's, 
it's a great song. I really like this song. Uh, I really like the video. I like the movie. I like everything about this song. The best part of the video is because you know if and if anybody hasn't seen Terminator, you need to really turn this off. Or when this is done, I should say, go watch it. Watch one and two. Three is crap. Um, I haven't seen Genesis. Genesis was like five. Is it? Oh. Because um, three was Rise of Machines. That yeah. one was just eh. Four would have been, um, oh, God, it was one with Christian Bale. Salvation, I think. Yeah, okay. That one wasn't terrible, but then we had Genesis, and they're actually working on another one now. With Arnold again, and Linda Hamilton, and whatever else. But anyways. Hollywood, come up with some new fucking ideas. Right, but that being said, I mean, this is one of those where the sequel completely outdoes the original. and Not that the original is a bad movie. No, it's not. It actually features... Bill Paxton. Yep. And if you remember the piece of trivia, he's the only person to be killed by an alien, a predator, and a Terminator. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, but no, at the end of the video, I won't spoil it, but just the little red screen when he talks about Axel and the band is pretty priceless. Nice. Nice. So, what do you got for the last one? All right, so for the last one, <laughs> I have Shadow of Your Love, which was released as a single in 2018. The song entered at number 31 on the mainstream rock chart and in, in its May 12th edition, peaking at number 5 as of June 19th. Shadow of You Love was written by Axl Rose and Izzy Stradlin from Hollywood Rose with help from Rose's friend Paul Tobias. Rose mentioned that being inspired by Thin Lizzy as in writing the lyrics and wrote the song in about, quote-unquote, seven minutes. The song was first recorded by Hollywood Rose, with a recording later being released on the Roots of Guns N' Roses album, which was recorded with original Guns N' Roses lead guitarist Tracy Guns. Stephen Adler explained the background of the song. The first song we played in rehearsal was Shadow of Your Love, and Axel showed up late. Wait, who's surprised? Axel was late? No way. We were playing the song, and right in the middle of the song, Axel showed up, and he grabbed the microphone and was running up and down the walls, screaming. I thought... This is the greatest thing ever. We knew right then what we had. So let's get in the shadow of your love. So this was released on the Appetite for Destruction remastered in the expanded album. However... It was also released as the B-side of It's So Easy and Mr. Brownstone in 1987, in 1998 on the Live from the Jungle EP, in 1991 as the B-side to the Live and Let Die single. Also just a few more times before this newest release. The song itself is pretty standard Guns Fair. A song about living in someone's shadow, or in the shadow of their love to be more specific. Another song where he sings about doing, doing it his way or you can hit the road. I wonder why Axel never made marriage work. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I really do enjoy this song. I have to be honest, though, as much as I love Guns N' Roses, I never realized the song was released before 2018. I had never heard it before. Well, you know what? I had never heard this song before, and I'm going to be honest. I'm a little pissed they didn't include it on the original album. It's a great song. This song is fast. It's loud. It's gritty. It's in the same vein as You're Crazy, which is another good underrated song. Yep. Um, I like it. So, like I said, I'm, I'm a little crabby that they didn't include it because they could have gotten rid of, like, My Michelle, which I liked My Michelle, but they would have if they would have switched that out for this, I'd have been okay. Uh, yeah, I would not have missed My Michelle for this. Okay, listen up, everybody. Turn up your volumes. Announcement. 
All right, so let's get back to the beer. Now, I gave it a thumbs up. You gave it a bar. I'm keeping it. I like this. I will keep it as well. It 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 went away. It didn't really stick around as I was fearing it would, mm-hmm. because, but then again, that could have been washing the rest of it down, too. <laughs> All right, so, oh, trivia. Yes. All right, so one more time, the trivia question. What is Guns N' Roses' only Billboard number one song? Your choices are Sweet Child of Mine, Welcome to the Jungle, November Rain, and Mr. Brownstone. Did you realize that in, in the ten songs that we did here as the favorites for the gun, we only did one of these songs? Yes. Okay. I'm going to say November Rain. No, it was Sweet Child of Mine. Was yeah, that only... would have been my second choice. Yeah, so unfortunately, no, that is incorrect. It is Sweet Child of Mine. Um, I guess I was a little shocked to find out that, and I didn't know this, Guns N' Roses has only had one number one song. They hit the top ten, but I don't think they... Yeah, they hit the top, top ten quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so with that, thank you guys for listening. Let us know if you like this episode or any of our other episodes. And you can reach out and let us know that in a couple different ways. First of all, you can send us an email at eclecticmediaproject at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find us on Facebook at Musically Challenged Podcast or at POI Network. And, of course, there is our third and final way. We have the third way, which is the Twitter. That's at MCPodcast17. If you want to give us some love, give us some hate. Tell us that we're just terrible. Tell us that we're awesome sauce. Whatever you want to do if you want to send us a playlist. Ten songs, ten different artists have a theme. If not, that's fine, too. Make sure you have the music just in case, because as great as we are, sometimes we have a difficult time finding some of the shit that you guys pick out. Especially if it's really off the wall or not uh, an overly famous song. Sometimes it can be hard. But that being said, again, send us something. And if we get enough people following and whatever, we might even start doing polls. There you go. And uh, what else do people do on Twitter? I don't know. Um, talk stupid about other countries? Yeah, pretty much. Um, And keep an eye out. Uh, The the website's coming. The Eclectic Media Project website is coming. Um, It is set right now. The goal is to be up and operating by November 1st. And uh, we'll leave it at that. And with that, thank you guys for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.